now introducing Mr. Kawada himself, my dad. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, this is Quantum of History. I am your host, Donnie Waldron. Welcome to another episode. I'm excited for this one. We've got Matt Perkins on from the Cigar Bond. We're going to be talking about Sam Bankman Freed, FTX, crypto. And I think the reason I chose this is, one, I, I think this is where they're probably going to go with the franchise moving forward. The next one, I imagine they're probably going to play it safe with the villain. I think they're going to have kind of formulaic villain. You look at back on Gold Knight, it was financial crisis more than anything, right? I mean, it was double cross, but at the end, they were just trying to wipe bank information. It was just a, it boils down to nothing more than a bank robber, as he says at the end. I think that's probably where the next villain's going to be. And I think it's going to be kind of a mix between a Sam Bakeman Freed type or like an Elon Musk type. My first introduction to cryptocurrency happened in 2015 when I was a cop in Baltimore City. We had a call for service and we go there and it's this vacant, it's in the middle of nowhere. It's just in the most crime-ridden, dilapidated, very impoverished, terrible area. And we go in this vacant because normally these are all boarded up and when somebody takes the boards down, people call or you notice it and, and you have to board the vacants back up. And we get there and go inside, and there's hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of servers. We had no idea what it was, no idea. So we call in, we start calling around, and um, the feds end up coming down and, and seizing it because it's in a vacant, but it's it was hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of this Bitcoin mining server. And they were using this vacant because these serving mines or these mining computers take a lot of, lot of energy, a lot of electricity to use. So they were just using this vacant, and they, you know, the city was paying the, the cost of the electricity, but it seems it shows the criminal element, right? It clearly was not built by any kind of reputable um, enterprise. This was, cr- this clearly had a criminal element to it, and they were using the crypto for criminal um, purposes. So I can absolutely see this type of currency, this type of villain seeping its way into um, the Bond movies. And you have seen financial things before, and I think that this is an interesting topic to get into because this is where I would see James Bond in, right? I I always say this, I've said this a million times on this podcast, but I think separates James Bond from other ones is that he doesn't just attack low-level guys. He's in the elite circles. And Sam Bankman-Fried made himself into these elite circles. You see pictures of him with heads of state, with CEOs, with, you know, he was becoming a very influential person. And crypto, I mean, I don't know if it's, I don't really know what to take of it. Most of this episode is going to be about the interview with Matt Perkins because he's just amazing at this. He's amazing at talking about finance and what actually happened, how these hedge funds, how this crypto, how it all ties in together, how it all ties with the bond. So I'm excited for this. Without further ado, let's get into the main part and then we're going to have a great interview afterwards. So so without further ado, let's get right into the episode. FTX, Sam Bankman Freed. Cryptocurrency was first introduced as an alternative to centralized currency in 1983 by an American cryptographer, David Schaum. In 1995, Schaum created DigiCash, which could be withdrawn using encrypted keys. The problem with Schaum and an early cryptocurrency is something called double spending problem. Essentially, you could just copy and paste the code and use it again. It'd be like if you just take a dollar bill, photocopy it, use it, and then use the same one over again. So it wasn't actually feasible to use as currency just because if you can just recreate it, what's the point in having it? Others built on this idea, but the double spending problem persisted. That was until 2008 when either an individual or group using the code name Satoshi Nakamoto published the Bitcoin white paper. Bitcoin introduced blockchain technology, which solved the double spending problem. In 2009, the first block was mined that resulted in 50 Bitcoins now referred to as the Genesis block. This mining process involves computers that solve complex mathematical problems that generate coins. Each coin has a blockchain, 
that timestamps and records all transactions associated with the currency. The coins require authentication from passwords and text. If you forget your password, you lose your money. And that's that's one of the things with crypto is if you don't have your password or your wallet, you lose it. You don't have access to it. There's no way to recover it. That's one of the security things. So you got to make sure you keep track of your passwords uh, or else all that money can be gone. And one thing that makes crypto so volatile is that there is no regulation. It is pure supply demand. The price of crypto is directly dependent on what someone is willing to pay for it. It has huge waves and is volatile. It is susceptible to tweets, to trends, to crashes, and of course, to scams. A large chunk of the fraud the U.S. deals with now involve crypto. Some as simple as email phishing, some as elaborate as fake websites and hacks, and this has eroded some confidence in crypto. But crypto is facing its biggest test to date in the form of FTX and the ongoing fraud with Sam Bankman-Fried. Now, who is Sam Bankman-Fried and what is FTX? Fried is the son of two Stanford professors. Fried, intellectually gifted, quirky, and ambitious, is this generation's Bernie Madoff. Sam Bankman started two prolific companies in the crypto market, FTX Future Exchange and crypto hedge fund named Alameda Research. FTX is a crypto exchange where people could use their fiat currency to purchase cryptocurrency. You don't have to actually have the coin though. In many cases, investors thought they were purchasing crypto, but what they were doing in reality was getting in line to get crypto. They didn't actually have it, they just had a IOU of a crypto. Now the Alameda is under more regulatory oversight than FTX, and as books were cooked, investors became concerned about the out of FTT in Alameda's books. FTT is FTX's own form of cryptocurrency, and seeing the conflict of interest, red flags were shown that Alameda and FTX may be inflating their financial health. By this time, FTX was spending hundreds of million dollars in F1 deals, naming rights to the Miami Heat, in an election of 2022. Sam Bankman-Fried was the Democratic Party's highest financial contributor. Fried sought governmental oversight and portrayed himself as the ambassador and prince of crypto. This did not sit well with other crypto companies, who disagreed with much of what Sam was lobbying for. Sam was keeping the boat afloat until a simple tweet changed everything. Sam and his company on uh, Binance CEO, Xingpeng Zhao, the world's largest crypto exchange, were once friends. So FTX was the second largest, but Binance is the, is, is the king of crypto. And this guy Zhao is considered the, the king of crypto at this point. Zhao grew ever annoyed with Sam. The two traded barbs and tweets, and while Crypto World watched, Again, what we said before, this is crypto is very susceptible to because there is no regulation. There's no set foundation. It's new. So its only value is what people value it as. So if nobody values it at anything, crypto is worth anything. It's just like picking up a rock and saying, hey, well, we're going to trade these rocks now as currency. Unless people actually attribute value to it and can use it and have faith in it, it's really volatile. And this tweet that um, this Twitter war between Sam and Zhao just showed exactly how volatile it could be. After further information about Alameda's FTT reliance came out, on November 6, 2022, Zhao tweeted that he would sell all $580 million worth of FTT. This sent the crypto world into hysteria, and in the course of a couple days, billions of dollars worth of investment was being sold. The only problem? There was no money. So much so that only two days after the tweet, on November 8th, Binance announced that they agreed to buy FTX. Hoping to calm the crypto market, the sale was announced pending a look at the books. It only took a day to realize that FTX was not as healthy as they thought they were. They were in real financial trouble and legal problems were coming and the situation was even worse than Zhao anticipated. On November 9th, Binance withdraws from the purchase and on November 10th, Bohemian financial regulators freezed FTX assets. On November 11th, FTX files for bankruptcy and a myriad of federal agencies step in and begin investigating Sam for numerous counts of fraud. By December 12th, 2022, Sam is arrested in the Bahamas after New York prosecutors file charges. And within a month, a company that was valued at $32 billion went what it was now worth nothing. As files continue to come out, the charges are sealed and it's anticipated the fraud and illegality that went into this will involve some of the highest officials worldwide. You see all the celebrities that endorsed it. You see 
the people that Sam was contributing to, you see who he was hanging out with, what circle he was actually inside of. This is going to have ramifications, I'm sure, for a very long time. So literally, a $32 billion industry was taken down by one tweet. And what Binance was trying to do, I think, in, in purchasing FTX is that, look, they, Sam and Zhao did not like each other, but Zhao re realized that, you know, if FTX loses or fails or puts a big dent in crypto, that's going to affect his because he's got crypto. And was this is all based on faith. This is all based on trust and how much you believe. And people will play with this when they've got extra money. When, that, when they don't have the money anymore, it's going to be a lot different to try to value what crypto is actually worth. I saw an interesting thing from Warren Buffett who said, you know, if he, if he could buy 1% of the farmland for $250 billion, he writes a check now. 1% of apartments, he buys a check. $250 million buys it now. If he says, you could, I could give you 100% of the world's crypto for 50 bucks, I wouldn't take it. Well, enough clamoring from me. And let's talk to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. We'll bring on my good friend, Matt Perkins. He's my, he's my finance guy, huh? When I need, when I need some, uh, some help with the books, I call this guy, huh? So <laughs> without further ado, let's bring on Matt Perkins, uh, The Cigar Bond. Welcome back, my good buddy Matt Perkins, the Cigar Bond. He's been on a couple episodes. He's my uh, my go-to finance guy. I'm excited to have you. You're always fantastic on these episodes. So welcome back, Matt Perkins. It is always good to be here. Thank you so much for having me back. Absolutely. What's, what's been up, man? How you been? Uh, actually, I've been really quiet on social media because a lot has happened in my life. Um, so I got engaged. Uh, my fiance and her son and I, we all live together now, which is a very big change from my previous james bond bachelor lifestyle <laughs> and yeah. uh, and also i have uh, i have recently changed positions with the company that i work for so i work for a, a trillion dollar asset manager and i have moved into a uh, regulatory and data reporting role now so it's actually perfect timing to to be talking about what we're talking about well that is that absolutely is perfect so congratulations on all those moves those are all fantastic life changes new career engaged all good stuff um, as opposed to our buddy Sam Bigman Freed, who uh, <laughs> not so good things. So I just kind of want to get into what, what did you think about when you first heard the news? Because I'm sure you followed it pretty closely. What was your what were your first thoughts when you saw this story come out? To be candid, I wasn't that surprised. Uh, and I know that we're still learning things. I, I know that we're, the story is still developing. We're still learning things. But to be candid, it, it wasn't that surprising to me. Yeah, I mean, one thing is when you always red flags is when somebody has a meteoric rise and everyone's like, how does this guy have all of a sudden naming rights to F1, to the Miami Heat in Super Bowl commercials and all this other stuff? And you're like, he just, this guy just pops out of a bush. It's, it's usually always a red flag when it just happens overnight. But what was it about this story um, that you were like, I'm not surprised that all this happened? It was less about FTX as a company and more about cryptocurrency in general. Mm -hmm. uh, so Warren Buffett, who I have a lot of respect for, one of his investing philosophies, and I think we can all agree that he's a, a pretty successful investor. Uh, however, one of his investing philosophies is I don't invest in anything that I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And and I, I abide by that as well in my own investing decisions. And with cryptocurrency, ever since it first came on with Bitcoin years ago, I have a really hard time understanding its valuation. Yep. I understand what cryptocurrency is, but I don't understand why one Bitcoin is worth, I think it's $21,000 right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I just have a really hard time wrapping my mind around that. And so to see one of these exchanges fail, 
I I wasn't terribly surprised because crypto is occupying very much a um, a nebulous space in the financial world. I think it's a very interesting you know medium because one it's brand new and the people who are in really engaging in it are young people, mostly Gen Z, a little bit of mm-hmm. millennials, and it is so volatile. It's very much it because it is. It's just how much are you? How much do you evaluate? It's not backed by anything specific. It's just how much will you pay for this? And in that sort of spirit, it's like a, a single tweet can change the market. Or when Elon Musk was getting into Dogecoin and all that, you hit a single t- uh, tweet or or something, some little small event could have giant fluctuations in how much it's worth. Um, so I think for a stabilization, it's an interesting thing. But for stabilization, I just don't, still don't think that there's anywhere close to being reliable enough to anywhere close uh, come over the fiat currency you're you're absolutely right and one of the things you know to kind of look at it in the in the broader terms of the financial market so you have your and again i'm I'm just speaking very broadly with this there's some Mm -hmm. really really niche uh securities out there but you have stocks you have bonds and you have commodities again there's a lot of other things but generally you have those stocks you're buying you know ownership in a company you buy a share of netflix you own a certain percentage of netflix Mm -hmm. it might be point zero 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 one (laughs) percent But you own something of Netflix, and Netflix has a board of directors. It has a CEO. It has a chief operating officer. It has a five-year plan. So Netflix's goal is to make money, and there's people that show up every day to do that. Uh, With bonds, for example, another great one is uh, municipal bonds. You have, let's say, like I live in California, so the capital is uh, Sacramento. Sacramento is an actual city. Like You can go visit Sacramento. Uh, I don't think you should because there's nothing to see here, but <laughs> you're welcome to come visit. Uh, but Sacramento is an actual city. It's an actual place. And so when the municipality issues bonds, those bonds get raided. And there, you know, for those of you who may not um, be that versed in this, a bond is essentially a loan that is being sold to you. You buy it and they offer to pay you a certain percentage of interest and then buy the bond back from you after a fixed date, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, et cetera. Uh, and then commodities, commodities are your gold, your wheat, your silver. Uh, in fact, a great movie to to understand commodities as well as just kind of investing in general is trading places. Mm-hmm. At the very at the very end of the movie, um, you know, spoiler alert on this if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, but they get that report that says the orange juice cr- or that the orange crop was damaged by the winter, and so the Duke brothers end up buying all of this frozen concentrated orange juice that ends up being worthless. Well, orange juice has an actual market. People like to drink orange juice, and then there's the orange scented products, etc. Uh, so each of these things has some type of tangibility to it, as well as they it's, as they have a tangibility to it as well as it's you're able to predict demand mm-hmm. uh if net you know for example when netflix announced that they had lost subscribers for the first time in 10 years their stock price took a huge hit yeah and and same thing with um you know with bonds you know with with the city that doesn't have a great history of paying back its bonds those bonds aren't going to be able to fetch the price that they want it to and with commodities, you know, hey, we've out here in California, we have a lot of um, a lot of agriculture. So if it does damage the orange crop, guess what? Orange futures are going to be a lot more expensive. With cryptocurrency, it's the currency is kind of a misnomer because a currency is a means of exchanging goods and services, and it typically, as you said before, with volatility, it typically has to be pretty stable to be valuable, and. Yeah. It also has to be backed by something. I mean, with fiat currency, and as we discussed in the the Goldfinger episode, gold, gold, <laughs> yes, still one of my favorites. That's a good one. Yeah, we transitioned from the gold standard, gold, to a fiat currency, where it is now just backed by the full faith and credit of the federal government. But it's backed by the full faith and credit of the federal government. So if the government fails. We have bigger issues than than the currency, mm-hmm. and and with Bitcoin and all these other cryptocurrencies, they're not backed by anything. They're so decentralized and they're so volatile. They're not being used. They're not being traded on the market as a currency. They're being bought and sold like a security. Mm-hmm. You know, like you would buy and sell stocks or bonds or commodities, etc. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting so, point. So yeah. It's really interesting to kind of see how it behaves, and, and that in turn has created some problems for regulators as well. Let me just play devil's advocate for a, for a minute. And um, 
I know a lot of people were talking about the FTX collapse and that it was more of a problem not with crypto itself, but with the exchange because people were using their real money in order to put into this exchange, but they didn't actually have a crypto coin yet. It was that eventually when one gets found, we'll give you that. And the same point where it seems ridiculous at one point to put any any stock or value into gold, which is essentially just a worthless mineral that was in the ground. At some point, this crypto, which you can timestamp your sale, can evaluate, can show and these blockchain um, transactions, it actually would probably be even better to have this than gold. Uh, what would you say as far as what's the difference between the hedge funds for the tokens, the cryptocurrency itself, and how would you describe how the hedge fund actually was working with the exchange? Ooh, there's there's a lot to unpack here, and this is this is going to be going on for years. As far as so, a hedge fund, a hedge fund really has has a real mis, uh, mis uh, there's a lot of misconceptions about hedge funds due to pop culture hedge funds are pooled investments that tend to focus on very niche and advanced uh, investment strategies and tools yeah can hedge i just inject it very much please. the hedge fund itself has a very much a horrible stigma right it's like rich kids and and hedge funds and, and terrible bankers I, I you know can you just kind of elaborate what a hedge fund actually is like i'm sure you're about to do but um you know, just for my own thing too, to explain what yeah. the hedge fund is, because it seems like such a dirty word, but do people actually know what it actually is? Hedge fund is, all right, I'm, so I'm really glad you brought that up. Hedge fund is actually a very, very specific type of investing. Uh, it is a pooled investment, so it's gathering money from a lot of different investors. By, either by law or by regulation, forgive me, I don't know exactly off the top of my head, but by law or by regulation, it is not open to retail investors, people like you and me. It is open to institutional investors, like it would be Merrill Lynch, or JP Morgan. Uh, even some individuals can attain the, the designation of institutional investor based on their net worth, like Mark Zuckerberg, for example. He could be an institutional investor just based purely on his wealth. Uh, but it's mainly meant for companies, not individuals. And they pursue, it, there's a, it goes into a lot of detail, but they pursue very advanced and very niche investment tools and strategies, like arbitrage, for example. I'm just kind of throwing that out there. Um, so it's not something that normal people typically invest in. And as you said, the you know the hedge fund baby and things like that. Yeah, hedge funds can make a lot of money. They tend to take very large positions, but they're also very risky. And they stand to lose a lot of money based on those investments, which is why they aren't typically open to people. Why, um, why, why the ex exclusivity? Because you think of um, the vol volatility, you'd also want to pull other people's money and let that you know waste away. Why do you think the exclusivity and in the hedge funds as opposed to letting other people come in and then play risky with their money too that's a great that is another great question uh part of it is to protect because the investment tools and strategies they use are so advanced it is very difficult for common people to understand them and i know mm -hmm. that sounds really snobby and elitist i work in finance and i'll tell you right now there's a lot of things i don't understand about the industry mm -hmm. uh, so what they pursue is so advanced and so complicated that it's not reasonable that the retail public would be able to understand it. Mm. There's, and actually we can, you know, after this, I'd like to pivot into something else called know your customer, but that's why hedge funds typically are not open to individuals. It's, okay. it's just, it's very difficult for people without incredible experience or an advanced understanding of investing. Okay, absolutely. So, well, when one of the red flags in the minute the, um, when FTX actually fell apart was that the hedge fund was all backed by FTX, FTT tokens. And they realized that one company was holding up the other one and the other one didn't have actually any fungible value to it. It's all basically founded on a house of cards of IOUs. Uh, mm -hmm. what, what do you think, you see Tom Brady was investing in that and Steph Curry and all these um top end people how do these people you say that you know this is high-end um investing complicated how do these people all get tricked into spending a 32 billion dollars worth of all all an overnight become zero how do you think they were able to get that and how do you think they were able to get raise that much capital when head funds are supposed to be kind of understood by elite investors 
being an elite investor doesn't necessarily mean that you completely avoid risk. In fact, hedge funds are quite the opposite. They tend to seek out riskier investments, not poor investments necessarily, but riskier investments. And and this is just one fraction of what hedge funds focus in on, by the way. Uh, cryptocurrency is, in general is just a very niche very almost marginalized investment and for people like i mean for people like tom brady and and robert Kraft who've invested in this it it's i, I don't want to this is going to be very i'm trying to think of a very polite way to say this but it's easy to be sucked into the excitement mm. cryptocurrency as a whole has generated a lot of excitement over the last six seven eight years even more and the, you're reading i mean there's articles that are being published regularly about people who became millionaires overnight because they bought a coin at like 0.6 cents per coin and it tripled in value overnight and so i heard one story like, hey, that there's there's, there's, a, there's supposedly a usb disk in some trash landfill somewhere that has like two hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin on it, but it's on the USB and they can't get to it. So this guy has been searching for years through landfill, trying to get permits from the county to keep going through and sifting through, just trying to trying to find this one USB that's in some landfill that has Bitcoin on it worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Exactly. And and so it's I mean, that is such a small fraction of people, though, who acquire that type of wealth through this. Mm. But everyone thinks it's like the lottery. It's like the billion dollar lottery that um, we just had. Everyone thinks they've got a chance at it. So people want to get in on it. And unfortunately, only certain types of um, cryptocurrencies are even going to be viable for that type of wealth. But people are just painting cryptocurrency as a whole. And there's an element of get rich quick to it too that is admittedly hard for re the retail public to turn away. And then for people like Tom Brady and such, it's, you know, they, they get excited about it. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little bit, um, and this is something I want to talk about later with the regulation that's going to be coming. Uh, I'm sure there's some element of brand ambassadorship to it as yeah. well. Like, I don't know they necessarily ponied up all their money for it. I'm sure they were gifted some of it in exchange for their endorsement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it, this kind of brings um, um, a good point in that um, Sam Bankman-Fried was was trying to. He was in Washington. He was a huge donor to both parties. He was the number one Democratic con con campaign contributor during his time, and it was interesting to see uh, what he wanted. To, he was was for regulation. He was sought out regulation. He wanted to get this more legitimized, and he had you know pushback from the other cryptocurrency people that they didn't, he was on, on a platform that they necessarily didn't agree with or didn't want the regulation to go with. What do you think would be more beneficial for crypto? Do you think more regulation or start kind of the appeal of staying deregulized? Um, more regulation. Yeah. More regulation. And, and just so everyone knows, I'm, I'm a libertarian. I am not a, a pro government, pro regulation type person. However, I will tell you this working in finance, every single regulation that we have is because someone tried to do something shady. <laughs> and I'm, that yeah, is, that's that true. Yeah. Best way to explain it. Um, uh, so a great example, and also whenever stuff hits the fan, that's when things start to. That's when the government pays attention and regulation starts to kick in. A great example is next time you're at a bank, I want you to look around for that sim for that little um, plaque that says "Member mm -hmm. FDIC." That stands for the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. The federal government insures your money in that bank up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. That was a response from the Great Depression when there was a run on the banks, and they obviously didn't have everyone's money there. So once the banks ran out of money, they just closed up. Yeah, They were done, and people lost – I mean there was millions of dollars that was lost as a result of that. So the government said, hey, in case that happens again, we're going to, per we're going to guarantee everyone's money up to $250,000. Uh, the 2007-2008 financial, financial crisis, this is one of the more um, – you know, recent developments, FINRA has broker check on the on their uh, website. And it's a way for people, it's not necessarily regulation, but it's more of a tool that is just used to empower consumers as a result of all the shady stuff that went on in 2007 and 2008. You can go to the FINRA website, it's brokercheck.finra.org, type in your advisor's name or the person who's trying to sell you something and you can see not just their employment history you can see their criminal history as well and you can see if they've ever been fined or cited by the sec or finra or any other regulatory agency yeah and it's a way to provide just that type of you know information for the consumer to make a good choice yeah absolutely and isn't it, you know um these kind of regulations and these kind of 
securities, there, isn't that kind of why the U.S. still stays ahead of their power? And you look at the inflation that's going around throughout the world. Fiat currency is, like I said, now not backed by anything tangible, but the full faith and credit of the economy. Is that part of what's really helping the U.S. dollar stay and the U.S. economy stay is that there's so much backing and so much regulation and so much security with the laws, with the insurances, with everything that goes along with our currency and our form of economy? I I would say yes. Um, I I would say yes. So one example of some, there's a report. So I do a lot of, um, like I said, I do a lot of data reporting as well as regulatory reporting uh, and business intelligence. Some one of the regulatory reports that I work on is for our officers and directors. And what it does is it discloses. um, So I work for a mutual fund company and each mutual fund has a board of directors. And so the legal department will come to me and be, hey, we need you to we need you to tell us what percentage of the fund is owned or how many shares are owned by these individuals who actually run it, because they need to disclose that to the public by law. And I think you're going to see and that's a way to just create transparency. Mm-hmm. with an investment um a great example actually i love movies by the way and you can believe it or not you can actually learn a lot about finance and the history of or why financial regulations came to be through movies uh the movie boiler room with giovanni ravisi and a very very young vin diesel by the way uh, <laughs> he still had hair right he no he didn't have hair in no, this he, one. He didn't, he didn't have hair in this one um this came out in 1999 so this was right when like the penny stocks were taking off uh, Giovanni Ravisi or Giovanni Ravisi is he's a he becomes a stockbroker for this you know like small time firm. But he's making a ton of money, and he starts to look at all these different companies that he's selling. And he looks at the prospectus and he's noticing it's the same people on each company. And what they're doing is they're essentially doing pump and dump schemes. Mm-hmm. They're getting the stock price built up. They're building commissions, and then the company's worthless because it's the same people just creating shell companies. But it was, you know, I don't know, it wasn't legal, but it was generally allowed and it was easier to get away with. And so finally, the federal government had to step in and say, hey, you're you're not doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you know, Wolf of Wall Street, too, the same thing with the penny stocks. That was the yep. same idea. Um, where do you see crypto going? I mean, do you think that it can fill a hole? Do you think there is a use for it? What do you I mean, I, I, you know, these hedge funds and they're clearly it's not going anywhere, I don't think. I think it would take even this event itself isn't a cataclysmic event enough to kill crypto just because, like you said, the excitement behind it, the the you know novelty of it also right now. Where do you see it going from the future? Uh, there's a couple of things about about the future of crypto that I see. Uh, number one is so first off is as crypto as an invest as a investment security. I don't see it gaining mainstream acceptance anymore. I think that it was coming very close to it, but this incident, so I don't mean to, to tangent too much, but I can't really stress how bad this is for crypto. Mm-hmm. And because in finance, your reputation is everything. If you don't have your reputation, you don't have anything. And this really is a black eye to cryptocurrency as a whole. Uh, I don't think it's the worst thing that's happened. I, it's, I think it's the worst thing that's happened to crypto, but, crypto, but it's not. it's certainly not the only bad thing about it. Uh, the fact that so many people lost money on this, it's going to make people very skittish about investing in any type of cryptocurrency in the future. And I really don't think that crypto, because of its volatility, ever was a contender as an actual acceptable currency. Because how can you, like, an example is if I give you a dollar, that dollar is always going to be a dollar. Mm-hmm. It's never going to be 80 cents. And it's never going to be a dollar five. It's always going to be a dollar. Its purchasing power may change, but the dollar remains a unit of currency. With crypto, you know, we'll use Bitcoin as an example. It's $21,000 right now. But if Elon Musk tweets about it, it could go down to 8000 mm-hmm. or it could go down to $7. That's not good for a currency when you're using that as a measure of goods and services. Uh, so I, I don't think it's going to see too many spa- too much space in people's portfolios. And then as far as uh, the regulation going forward, I think it's going to see a crypto's going to see a real rude awakening. Mm. One of the things that has fascinated me, I'm sorry, but um, one of the things that has fascinated me about this, this is a new financial instrument in the age of the influencers. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have TikTok or, or not, but I, I recently got on it at the uh, at the urging of my fiance's son. 
and there are so many crypto influencers on there and they're talking about and they're trying to sound very very intelligent but they're saying you know hey this coin is po is poised to to go up 30% or you know this coin is kind of plateaued and and they don't know what they're talking about they really don't but they're giving financial advice yeah and i want you to think about the last time you saw someone on tv or on the internet trying to tell you to buy a stock you, know, you don't I see anyone oh sorry yeah, well, you know what? It's interesting you bring that up. And I just watched um, a thing on the uh, GameStop when they shorted that. They just had the uh -huh. documentary about all that on um, Netflix, and that was basically the same idea: is that this was started from this community, the niche, just like a just like we have the bond community, and there's all sorts of little niche communities. There's a community out there that has YouTubers, podcasters, TikTokers. Uh, all these other things that try to give these advices or try to give these financial advice, and they think that these are just because they're in front of the camera are informed, and it can cause massive waves in reality when you're getting bad advice or somebody who is perceived to have influence in this market says something that turns out to be the complete opposite of what you should be doing. You're you're absolutely right. And as of at the time of this recording, by the way, I believe jury selection is going on for Elon Musk's trial regarding his tweet about taking Twitter private or about mm -hmm. taking I'm sorry, not Twitter about taking Tesla private. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you recall that it was back in 2018. He put out a tweet that said funding has been secured to take Tesla private four hundred and twenty dollars a share. That is going to change people's minds and that is going to influence their behavior in a in a very material way. Yeah. And and so it's been very interesting with crypto to see the right to see how influencers have played a role and brand ambassadorships have played a role. And I think you're going to see that virtually disappear. I think that they're going to be I think people like who do that are going to be very, held liable yeah. for their um, their decisions uh, as far. And then there's actually regulating the cryptocurrencies themselves. I uh, before our, before our um, conversation, I actually read the criminal complaint against Sam Bankman Freed. And one of the things that really stood out to me, he's so he's being charged with um, eight counts of fraud and, and two counts of conspiracy to commit money laundering. And that stood out to me. The fraud, mm -hmm. yeah, he, he obviously lied to investors. I get that. The money laundering, though, I don't think he's the bad guy. I don't think he's actually trying to hide dirty money. Uh, my company and every other financial company out there has an entire division dedicated to money laundering and preventing it. It is, especially since um, September 11th, it is something that every company works very diligently to prevent. I myself, I'm not involved in the investment side of things, okay? I focus more on the business. But every six months, I still have to do a training on how to identify money laundering and who to report it to. And if you, And I don't think he did. I don't think his company had any type of internal controls. I think they were just taking money as it was given to them. And you can't do that. Yeah. And I think for the other crypto exchanges that are going to come forward, because you're right, I don't think crypto will ever go away, but it's going to take a while for it to recover. Uh, they're going to have to adopt internal controls for things like this. They're going to have to monitor transactions and make sure that everything's on the up and up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's interesting on that same point with the money laundering is that there, with that indictment, there's a lot of things that are still sealed. And the indictment comes in the second district of the federal second federal district in New York. And if you're getting indicted in the second district in New York, it is where the biggest of biggest cases go to. That's where the Olympic cases, the well, I just did the merchant of death, the headlines, the the Russian scandals, all the big all the big court cases end up in there. So that's if you're getting brought to that court and there's still things that are being sealed, there's still parts of the indictment that are being sealed and you still have all these things that are going on that underlying along with money laundering i'm sure that there's a lot of things at play um that will eventually come out that i'm sure a lot of people are going to have you know have stains on from and you know yeah. when, another interesting point the world economic forum is going on right now and right now there's 116 billionaires the fbi director 56 finance ministers central banks 52 heads of states 600 ceos are all collaborating on this world economic forum and I would be interested to see what type of conversation about crypto is going to happen because 
at one point, Sam Bakeman Freed was part of these elites. We talk about the mm-hmm. the grassroots, these YouTubers that feed it on. That's the that's the bottom. These are the, basically the just the normal people that come in. But there's also elites that go into this, and this is, you know, the, not to be too conspiracy theory, but you know, the world, <laughs> you know, the new world order is basically being told in this little spot. And uh, I would be very interested to see what comes out um, of crypto based on that. Uh, what do you think as far as we talk about, you know, kind of cracking down on the little guys? What do you think the elites are going to have about them cracking down? Because now, you know, it's, it's affecting them in many ways now. I, uh, I've actually got a couple of, of um, forecast or I've got a, I've got some forecasting for crypto with that. Uh, so outside of cracking down on the influencers and things like that, I think that exchanges are going to begin to require some type of institutional backing mm-hmm. for crypto. Uh, so I think I mean, there's going to be different exchanges, just like there's different stock exchanges. Uh, the question is legitimacy, money, etc. Uh, but I think a lot of the more mainstream, uh, accept- or a lot of the more mainstream exchanges and the ones that are going to attract the most money are going to require some type of institutional backing for their currency. They're not just going to let someone who's mining crypto off of their laptop come onto their platform and sell. Mm. Uh, the next one is I see ratings for crypto. Uh, whether that's going to be from a, um, from a regulatory agency or some type of self-regulatory agency like FINRA. But just like we have AAA-rated bonds, we have junk bonds, et cetera, and just like we have blue-chip stocks, I think you're going to see a similar thing, a similar um, designation for cryptos. Mm-hmm. I think some cryptos are, you know, and we know that now, some are just more valuable than others, some are more trustworthy than others. I think you're actually going to begin seeing that type of designation. That's interesting. Uh, and what do you think and, about? And the, also, oh, oh, sorry. Finish your, no, finish your thought, and I'll finish. I'll, I'll ask you the next question after that. Um, well, and then not to get too conspiratorial with you as well, but I also see a uh, specialized department handling cryptos going forward because of how unique they are. I agree. I think that's. I think that's definitely going to come down the down. Um, that's definitely on the way. Uh, what do you think about because Bitcoin? You get this digital wallet, right? Mm-hmm. And we saw when the Russian oligarch came down and when the entire world in unison, basically with clicks of buttons, wiped Russia kind of off the Western map for a minute. And the ability for certain platforms to just not even carry their apps, right? I mean, Apple if Apple and Google decide that they don't want these Bitcoin apps or anything like that on their on their phones anymore. Uh, do you think you could see that kind of um, high end influence as well to try to curb this crypto? Oh my goodness, yes. Um, one of the things, and this is not to stray too far from the topic at hand, but so many people talk about government interference and government control. I will be very candid with you. Is this is someone who works very closely with a lot of regulations? I'm not afraid of the government. Mm. I'm afraid of private companies. Uh, a good example on this is gun control, actually. Uh, so many people say, you know, the government's I, – I, I have, um, you know, friends – I own guns. I have friends who own guns. But so many people, and I see them in online spaces, are like, you know, hey, you're going to have to come take my guns from me and stuff. And it's like no one's coming to take your guns from you. The government isn't going to stop you from buying guns. Visa and MasterCard are going to stop you from buying guns. And I saw that in a couple of instances. I saw that power flexed in a couple of instances. Uh, one – so I know this is uh, – typically in adult form, so I hope you'll forgive me for saying this, but one is Pornhub. Mm-hmm. Uh, Visa just said, we're not going to allow we're not going to allow our card to be used as a payment service for this. That's huge when Visa just says, we're not going to do business with you. And yeah. Visa and MasterCard are now working together to come up with a special designation for when a firearm is purchased using one of their cards. And that means that purchase can be tracked. The government's not involved with this. That is, those are private companies making those decisions. And so with that's another thing as well as with the stability and volatility of crypto, it's not just the asset itself or the cryptocurrency itself. You're right. Google and Apple could just say, you know what, we're not going to allow that on our phone anymore. And that would wipe out so many users. Yeah. And if you don't have access to that money, it's effectively gone. And it is. A, a, I mean, Visa, for, to do that with even porn, I'll be, Porn is a thirteen trillion dollar a year interest fee. It, they, uh-huh. I, saw, I saw one report that says if you put the profits of Amazon and Google and Facebook combined, it still doesn't add up to the entire market of porn worldwide. 
Um, so these private companies and the t- the stamping with the firearms, I have heard about that. That's an interesting point because you know the Supreme Court just came out with this decision um, saying that New York's licensing requirement wasn't any good anymore, and there have been all sorts of technologies that have been blocked by um, these like smart guns, like what you see from Skyfall, the, the biometric, uh-huh. that's been, that technology has been around for a very long time. It's been blocked by lobbyists. And then there's all sorts of one, there's even an app that you can put on your phone where that phone, where that gun can only fire with your, if the app's near. Um, so the power of these private companies, if they were to say, you know, maybe the government doesn't want to do this with, with guns or crypto, but we're going to do it. That, that power is, is, is way stronger than the government. It's an interesting point that you make that you're not, you're more afraid of private companies than you are government. Cause at the end it is, I, th- I think that these, the, these large corporations have far more say, far more pull because look at who our politicians are. And most of the time on both sides, regardless, they're a bunch of idiots for the most part. You see them speak. <laughs> yeah, they really are. And you know, what's even, you know, I want to get into this a little bit too. Have you ever yes. seen like a con- congressional hearing where people like Maxine Waters or these people who try to act like they're so high and mighty based on their positions in in this Congress, but you hear them ask these questions about things like crypto or, or, or stocks and bonds. And the questions that they ask are so ludicrous. I'm like, have you even done the bare minimum of research? Do you think that's going to be a a giant conspiracy? Even judges, when you're trying to talk about warrants with Instagram or Facebook or cell phone towers and GPS and all the technology that's happening, they are, these guys can barely, you know, FaceTime. And I'm sure that's a lot of Congress and senators have been there forever, have no concept of crypto. Is that going to be a a really hard hurdle for any, these things to come over, not just to regulate, but to try to deal with at all? Unfortunately, yes, because while the regulators who actually run these division, who actually run these agencies are very capable and very sharp. Uh, yeah, the politicians who are actually going to write the legislation for it. It's I don't have very much confidence in that. Yeah. And, and they're, not, and and they're certainly, and they're certainly not going to write the legislation. They're going to have somebody else write it. And exactly. somebody else is going to try to convince them that this is a good idea. And they're going to be hear somebody else in there chirped in the ear and be like, that's not a good idea. And no matter what you say, <laughs> just from my own experience, you know, they are, you can write the regulation, but if they don't believe, they don't buy into it or they have this preconceived notion about what it is, it's very hard to get through the head. And I think crypto is one of those things where it's going to be very difficult to get the concept through. It is, and I think that's also going to be part of crypto. I think that's going to be limiting crypto success. Uh, so crypto is not the first uh, new security that we've had introduced to us. Over the last 20 years, we've actually had quite a few. Uh, the big one is being ETS, exchange-traded funds. Those started in, I want to say, 1999 as the standard impure, the spider ETFs, actually, standard and standard poor's deposit receipts. Uh, picture a mutual fund. You know, like just a regular mutual fund, but one that you can change, you can buy and sell like a stock. Mm -hmm. So it still has all those underlying stocks and bonds, et cetera, but you treat it like an individual stock. Uh, That was introduced, you know, 20 plus years ago. And it is still part of people's portfolios, but it's not anyone's top part. It's not in, it's not the top part of anyone's portfolio because it is ten, it does tend to be very niche. Mm. Uh, and I think crypto is going to occupy a much more reduced role. People will have it in their portfolio, but it's certainly not going to revolutionize the way we do business. Um, it's it's volatile. It doesn't have any type of centralized backing, which I know is a selling point for it. But at the end of the day, you want to make sure that your money is being taken care of. But you know what would be interesting? Uh, yeah. Is if is if Pornhub starts taking uh, crypto, right? I, I'm I, I'm saying that jokingly, but honestly, porn has shaped. You know, there was a when we when we went through DVDs and it was either Blu-ray or HD, HDRs or whatever they were. Um, porn went with Blu-ray and that killed the 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 other uh, backing. Or basically, the internet was founded in. Uh-huh. you know, rounded on, on porn. So I, I think that crypto could have very much find new life in that if these institutions start saying we're not going to be involved in it. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think it will. Um, and I'm, I'm going to, I'm just, I've heard from, from other people that, that Pornhub actually does accept crypto. 
Well, there you I go. Would, I wouldn't know that myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever, whatever, um, Matt. You put the air quotes. That's <laughs> what I learned in my research you know, for the last couple of days. Um, but, I, but again, I think I think just like that, it's it's going to be an yeah. alternative to our mainstream currency. But ultimately, with crypto, you're not going to be able to pay your car with your um, yeah. car loan with it. You're not going to be able to pay your mortgage with it. You're not going to be able to buy groceries with it, which is going to limit its appeal. I mean, it's you know, it, people will still buy it. It'll still be traded, but it's not going to to revolutionize anything. Kind like nfts nfts were really big for what six months oh th- those have got to be those have got to be down oh they're worthless now you I, know, I, mean, I feel bad for anybody who did that that had that was the biggest scam in, in you know I, i'm getting older too i'm not into the new age stuff but the nft thing i thought was so stupid like these non-fungible tokens really it's just a picture uh-huh. I, I don't understand why you would want that and the the argument that yeah, well, you can just get a photocopy of a picture. It's just not the same as like the tangible having the painting, the artist touched it, all that, as opposed to the digital, which is just so not the same. Um, you're you're absolutely right. There is always going to be something about that that tangibility yeah. aspect to it, even if it's just a conceptual tangibility. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it'll be the next 10 years, I wouldn't say five years, but the next 10 years, I think are going to be very interesting for, for our economy, just as automation and not to, to pivot, not to extend too far beyond the topic at hand, but uh, just with the way automation, like this um, chat, RGT, I believe it is. I just learned about it a couple of days ago. It's this um, Is that the language. lawyer? Is that the one that can, that's a perfect lawyer? I don't know if it's a perfect lawyer, but it can it can write code, it can write speeches. It's it's um, a yeah. language processor. Yeah, so I think uh, I think that might be the same thing that they there's now one that can be a perfect lawyer. So if you give it a yeah. complex legal question and you put it in there, and they went against the best legal minds, and the AI was a formulated better, um, like ninety six percent accuracy with their yeah. legal writing as opposed to the best financial minds that were around eighty at the top. Um, so AI is going to be a scary thing as well going forward. Yeah, we are with everything going on. The next ten years are going to be very interesting for how our economy is going to be reshaped. That's great. Um, I, th- I think we can end it there, Matt. Unless you got anything else. Yeah. And uh, you know, uh, it's... I'm glad I'm not Sam Bankman-Fried. How about that? We'll end it with that. I'm, I'm <laughs> you know, glad I'm not that guy. He had a run because he had the the house in the Bahamas with ten polyamorous. He had a bunch of chicks. Like he was doing his thing for a little bit. But when you start doing that. You know it's going to be downhill quickly because you're not focused on the your business anymore. You're just you're just a, you know you're focused on. I'll, I'll say quotes the wrong thing. Yeah, dude, his business had some red flags that needed to be addressed, and I got news for you, man. Red flags are not just for dating. <laughs> right. Well, that's great, man. I, you know what'll be interesting in the ten years, ten years going ahead when we have a you know episode five hundred of Quantum of History, and we look back on this day, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, where where our predictions and what our conversation, how much it holds weight and how much it just like, oh, wow, those guys were idiots. They didn't know what they were talking about <laughs> 10 years ago, right? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm certainly happy to be proven wrong, but uh, I, I welcome the 10 year review to let's see. Let's see how close we were. <laughs> Sounds good, Matt. Well, as always, you were fantastic. This is 40 minutes of just absolute pure gold. Dude. <laughs> well, thank you, Matt. It's the Cigar Bond. Great guy. Uh, really wealth of knowledge. So thank you, guys. Thank you for doing this, and I uh, can't wait to do this again soon. Uh, you're awesome, sir. Thanks for having me.